And welcome to Cleveland and the Geek. Oh boy. Edition. Oh boy. <laughs> you gotta say it like it. Oh, oh boy. boy. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm John Bonas of Twins Daily. With me, Aaron Cleveland of the Evelyn. I don't even know I was gonna say what that's like, from, but I, I say that constantly well, in my real life. That's why I did. I was like, to me, that just felt like a, yeah. a Gleeman. I say that so much. I like, saw the mood you came where it came in here with, and I knew, I knew what the mood was gonna oh, be. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't even mean related to the twins. I just like. <laughs> I constantly say that when we're watching TV. I'll be like, oh, boy. But I don't even know what that is. It's from something, I'm sure. Um, I didn't invent that. Uh, yeah, this uh, this uh, F&T. I was, was, uh, was going to say, you know, the nadir. This is when the, the comeback begins. This is when the, the dark. But th- we, we, even haven't, we haven't even had that sort of signature loss that we all remember yet. Well, hey, That's fingers crossed, coming. John. <laughs> that is still coming. Let's knock on wood, buddy. <laughs> Tonight could be the night, baby. Yeah. Um, the one where we're like, how did they lose that game? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because a <laughs> lot of these games have just been early in the season. They had a couple of blown leads that were right. a little painful. But a lot of these games have just been, oh, it's it's three to one in the sixth inning. They're never going to score three runs. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, obviously, Duran giving up a, a walk-off to Rosalina. Yeah. But, I, it's but that funny. was a tie to Watching that with. game, yeah. I never, even when they tied it, which was miraculous that they tied it in, in Tampa, right. I never was like, oh, they got a good chance to win this game. I was just like, that's just going to extend the misery. <laughs> I didn't expect Duran to give up a walk-off homer, obviously, right. on his second pitch. 99-mile-hour right. splitter. But a Rosarino, <laughs> I mean, he's... Uh, he's good. Yeah. He's also fast. He's coming uh, around for first or third on that. That whole what? team is, uh, they do what the Twins, the whole team being the Rays, who have the best record in baseball. This is not like uh, breaking news. But they they actually do what so many teams, including the Twins, constantly talk about wanting to do. Right. Which yes. is to be aggressive and put pressure on the defense and force the defense to make mistakes. Right. And take advantage of every little, you know, bobble by an outfielder by taking an extra base. And they just steal a lot of bases at a real high percentage, I think, too. I think they said, I was listening, to, you'll be surprised to hear this, listening to the Tampa Bay Rays yeah. broadcast uh, of the game the yeah. other day. And I think they said they'd stolen their last 30, day, 30 bases con- c- correct. Without being yeah, caught. Without being caught. Yeah. I think the Twins have, have like almost... 20 in a row without being caught or they maybe got caught once but uh the twins are by the way no longer dead last in steals (laughs) well good they've passed uh, the rockies and the angels i think so that's something to to celebrate um they are however dead last or i guess first in a way in strikeouts (laughs) and uh, on pace to set the all-time major league record which uh We've seen some strikeouts uh, over the last five or ten years yes. in the majors, and you know it's only sixty what three games, I guess. But to be on pace, I mean, it's similar to I guess twenty nineteen. To be on pace at that point for the all time <laughs> homer record <laughs> right. after a decade of homer explosion, right, really was quite remarkable. This is uh, quite remarkable in the opposite way. I wrote about this morning, and I don't. We can kind of look at. I talked to Barrero about this yesterday because Barrero was like, listen, don't you always tell me that strikeouts don't matter? And I was like, well, look, sort of. But (laughs) there is a point at which it matters. Like there's a point at which you're just not giving yourself a chance to do anything. And the But the real problem with the Twins, yes, their strikeout rate is too high. But there are plenty of teams throughout baseball history who had one of the highest strikeout rates in the league and were an exceptional offense because typically strikeouts – 
are sort of attached to drawing walks and hitting for power. The problem that the Twins have is that they're striking out at a historic pace and they're like 20th in slugging percentage. Right. Yes. Uh, that is not a recipe for anything except what we're seeing, which is just a lot of frustration. The occasional like 10 run outburst when you make some hard contact, right. followed by, well, what we've seen, which is in the last six games, they have seven runs, yes. which Doe looked up. It's the lowest six game total at any point in any season the Twins have had since 2011 and the second lowest six game total uh, since 1982. So 50 years. 2011 is when Gleaming and the Geeks started. Yeah, so it's our fault is what I was getting to. <laughs> That's right. We've, um, we've gone full circle. Yeah. <laughs> they have uh, 10 losses this season when they've allowed three runs or fewer, which to me is like really the right. the crux of what people are trying to get at right. when they're saying, you know, they they squandered an oppor- a gift wrap opportunity in this god-awful division. Which, by the way, now has zero winning teams. Right. It's not even 500 teams. They're all losing teams. They're all losing the teams. The Twins right. have a, uh, what, 31 and 32 record, and they're up a game and a half, I think, in right. the division. Um, think of how badly <laughs> Chicago started. I swear they were like, I don't know, 7 and 20 or something like that. Right. They're, were they not four games back? Uh, they're, they're roughly. Two or three games back. Or maybe, I think it was. Two, they two, and three, four. something like that. Uh, or two, three, we, three. We were right about the Tigers being kind of uh, not for real three weeks ago. Yes. They've gone into a real tailspin. They've lost two of their Otherwise best players. Otherwise, they would have caught the Twins. Right. <laughs> and it's lucky that they've lost, like, I don't know, eight out of ten. White Sox are three and a half back. Three and Detroit and a half. is three and a half back. Cleveland's one Cleveland's and a half back. Cleveland's one and a half back. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't even know what to say anymore about, about this team. Like, And it, it feels so... Deja vu, not so much to this point last year, but just kind of the overall vibe of last year, which is, yeah, they're in first place, but does anybody look at this thing and are they encouraged by what they're seeing uh, by the overall performance right. or the, the injury list situation, which is now essentially back to where it was last season, where just guys are just leaving right. every game right. hurt and some guys stay on the active roster for five days. Some guys go to the I.L. and don't come back. and we, Some guys don't go on the I.L. They just, yeah. <laughs> they just hang around. So, and Polanco is the latest one to leave a game with uh, a hamstring issue, which is the same injury yep. that had him on the I.L. I don't know. Was it three weeks ago? Not even, maybe. Yeah, Two weeks ago. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they're going to wait on him. Uh, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't have uh, Ed Julian playing in Canada, uh, Canada's own, you know, meet you in Toronto right. to to be active in this. But you know, hey, whenever you can kick the can down the road, they'll kick that can down the road. I mean, man, he, I did think about this when they when I heard that. I was like, well, once you start setting a precedent, you know, the other players are like, hold on, why am I? Being put on the IL. Oh, when, I mean, once you start allowing certain yeah. players to spend five days hurt, but on the active roster, right? Yeah, that's a right. That's I mean, Polanco is supposed to be one of the team leaders, one of the you know, pillars on this. But he's thing. one of the ones. Why is he the one who's going to get screwed of having to go on the IL? Right. When uh, Barrero, when uh, Correa and Buxton both stay off of it for three or four days. Yeah. Uh, or Polanco is generally one of the guys who does get that treatment of <laughs> we'll let him take his time well, sure. and look maybe he'll be in the lineup for the second game in Toronto or something like that. But I just none of these guys are playing that well that the danger of being without right. them for an extra three days. Versus the danger of playing with a shorthanded right. roster, it, it just the the math on that or the logic on that does not add up to me. Where it's like, Jorge Blanco, like is Ed Julian is is eight, eight games I mean, of Ed Korea Julian for that matter? Yeah, I mean he homered yesterday, and he finally homered yesterday. Um, 
So yeah, th- this is uh, this is bad. Five straight losses. Right after, by the way, back to back wins at home against Cleveland, where I- I'm I'm pretty much convinced that if they'd have won one of those next two, this whole thing would have been completely different. I feel like that Cleveland team, just talking to the writers who were covering them, that Cleveland team was had a similar attitude to what we have now with the Twins. <laughs> right, yeah. That Cleveland team was waiting to get stomped into the ground, waiting to get covered with dirt. You know, they were what six and a half back or something at that point, point. Um, and instead the Twins lose the last two to Cleveland. Right, wiping away the first two that they won in that series, and then get swept in Tampa. And I'm not here to tell you that getting swept by the best team in baseball at their place is, you know, some horrible mark against the team. But it was kind of interesting to watch the Rays' strengths versus the Twins' uh, perceived strengths or what they want to be strengths. Mm -hmm. And it was just like laughable. It was just, you know, like the generic brand of a great product, basically, versus the product. Uh, it's like, well, the Twins yeah. want to be aggressive on the bases. Well, we saw a team that is built to be aggressive on the right. bases and actually pushes the envelope over and over again. The Twins now are talking. Pop, David Popkins, the hitting coach, talked to the reporters yesterday in Tampa and has said, you know, we need to adjust our two-strike approach and everything that fans have been saying, obviously. Sure. Um, you watch the Rays. They're extraordinarily aggressive on strikes early in the count. Then when they get to two strikes, they go into – don't chase mode basically and it's just interesting and obviously they play great defense and they can pitch and all that stuff so i don't know it's a that series coming off of losing two to cleveland i think puts them kind of back on their heels a little bit and it's you know going to lead to overreactions they're never as bad as they look when they're at their worst they're never as good as they look when they're at their best but man they, they whatever happens what are there now there's 99 games left okay yeah whatever happens from this point forward they have definitively blown their chance to run away and hide from the worst division in baseball. And, you know, maybe that won't matter. Maybe they end up winning the division by eight games anyway, right. whatever it is. But, man, you're going to look back at this, like, maybe three or four-week stretch here that we've seen them over the last, you know, period. Some tough teams, some games they should have won and didn't. Um, and you're just going to look and you say, this division was begging you to just sprint away from the pack and never get caught and yeah. just, you know, get to eight games above 500 when everyone else is four games below 500. And they were just begging for that. Like Chicago's horrible start. Detroit starts hot and then fades away. Cleveland still can't get it right. together. And yet the Twins just stumbled every bit as much. And now I'm not going to say it's a toss-up. I mean, I'm sure if you look at the odds this morning, the Twins are still 65 70% sure. to win the division or whatever. But it is so much more of a uh, just, you know, mud wrestling right now than it ought to have been. Right. The Twins should be the ones with any sort of competent offense whatsoever. I'm, I'm talking They'd about- be looking at, down at this pit full of bad teams and just saying, <laughs> man, thank God we're not in there. And instead, they're right there in the mud with them. What heartens me is that uh, last Saturday morning, I was on Saturdays with Sauce. And at that point, they were, had won the two games versus Cleveland. looked like they had a chance. And uh, Detroit had already started this their slip. A, this is a beer, by the way. It's 8 a.m. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. It's a fresco. Yeah, go on. But what kind of fresco? Bourbon? Is that <laughs> no. uh, grapefruit citrus? I don't know. Whatever weird ass drink you get. Sorry. Uh, and you, six days ago, there was optimism was was raining a little bit. Like they'd taken yeah. two out of Cleveland, etc. So you know, to get back to it's a long season, and it just you know, sure. it is a five game losing streak, right? So I don't want to I don't want to overreact too much about, but but I do want to say one thing about overreacting. 
Um, that's our job. That's the fan's job. The whole marketing plan for baseball is to find people that overreact and then get them to overreact on both sides. Wow. Otherwise, how do you get people to buy pay sixty bucks to sit and watch a baseball game for three hours, two, two and a half hours? Like that—that yeah. that is the idea of that is what you are looking for for be, for fans. You are sort looking of. for people I mean, to overreact, and I, so you got to take the good, the good with oh, the, the bad with the good. I when agree it comes with to overreacting. On I mean, that. I do think that there's. I get what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying mostly. Like you want some passion. I do think right. you can be super into something um and passionate about it and sort of without being stupid. obsessed about it without overreacting to it a little, you can just react to it i think but you know you lose five in a row and score seven runs and score seven I mean, runs yeah. so so much of it at, depends at three on three month near, point right. basically or two and a half month point of a season in which this has been the storyline the whole time and in a division where you're like, we have no, I mean, what we should be embarrassed to be stuck with these other teams right. at this point. Yeah. Um, and there's just and and yeah, it, overreact it, to that. It, it's right. fine. It's, it, it, at some point, the 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 line between overreaction and reaction becomes pretty blurred. Right, yeah, right, you know, right, when, right. exactly. It's the twins. You know, we say that's you're saying that's the fans' job or whatever, and I I kind of agree with that. But here's the truth of it: it's the twins' job. To convince people that their product is worth caring about and worth enjoying and worth not reacting negatively to. And they've done a really bad job at that for now three or four years in a row. Like, they have not helped themselves in terms of the, I don't know, just overall kind of fan mindset about this team, which I would describe as somewhere between uh, bad and toxic uh, just in general. But you are what you eat. You know what I mean? Like, nature or nurture. It, right. Who's that? Whose fault is that? It didn't. Now there's some Minnesota sports. Uh, sure, I don't know curse element <laughs> right, where exactly the right. fact that Twins fans there's overlap in the Venn diagram with Wolves fans and Wild fans <laughs> and, and Vikings, Vikings fans, fans and Gophers fans <laughs> right, and blah 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 anything right. but links really you right. can fill in the blank there. Right. Exactly. Um, and so that's going to lead maybe to more negativity and less, I guess. Um, kind of like given a benefit of the doubt given in these situations because people have been beaten down and soul crushed so many times before. But with that said, you know, they're, they've not been a good team now for quite a while. And they've been just handed these opportunities because of the quality of the division. And the fact that in most years you have at most two teams you have to fight with for a division title. And a lot of that time, it's one team. And a lot of that time, the one team you're fighting for 85 wins or whatever would would take the division. And they've just consistently not been up to the task. And we can talk about, you know, injuries are to blame. Last year, it was starting pitching was to blame. Then it was the bullpen to blame. This year, the starting pitching is really good, but it's the hitting to blame. And it's like, yeah, you can move those goalposts over and over again, or you can change where you want to point your... I don't know, criticism spotlight on. Right. But ultimately, it's just the team, right? I mean, like, right. I mean, the parts change and the names change and the faces change and the strengths and weaknesses may change. But if the end result is just sort of this mediocre, you know, can't get on a winning streak, anytime they have any sort of success, they immediately lose four in a row. The injured list is just packed at all times with players, and you're just kind of saying, "Well, wait till so and so gets back." Right. They ain't getting back. There is no wait till so and so gets back. How many times the, the, have we yeah, said that? There is no big move waiting to be made. Right? right. Is we are at the that which part of what makes it difficult to talk about or to get excited about is where is the hope? The hope is 
again, they need five different things to start right. going up. And now, they don't need any one big thing, but they need five guys to just be better than they That's are. That's almost, by the way, than they in, are. A, in a weird way, less or more discouraging. Right. No, I think because it is. one big thing, like if they were saying, oh, just wait until so-and-so mm-hmm. gets back, mm-hmm. that will fix everything. Right. Instead, it's like, we'll wait until Correa, yeah. Buxton, Polanco, Gallo, Kepler, and all get healthy right, and right. all start yeah. hitting. Yeah, and it's right. like, well, yeah, okay. How, I Where's got, Lewis and Kirilov? Yeah. Get, I got so many bridges steps, to right. sell you right. if you're waiting for that to happen. Right. Like, you can own every bridge in Minneapolis at that right. point. So, yeah, I don't, uh, you know, we're, we are overreacting. That's what happens <laughs> when a team that should be eight games up in a division is now one and a half up in the division. That's what happens when... You follow two nice wins against your biggest rival at home by losing five straight right. and essentially scoring zero runs. Uh, during that time, you're going to get overreaction from the people who are paying attention to your team. And, you know, we sometimes try to fight against that. Like, okay, maybe you guys are going a little crazy on this, but let's lay this out logically or whatever. Sure. And there's opportunities to do that here. I don't have the energy for it anymore <laughs> at this point. Yeah. I mean, at some point, it is on the Minnesota Twins. The people running them in the front office, the people running them on people the coaching them, coaching them on, on the field it, 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 level, it, it, and it, the players who are paid handsomely and given these jobs to start to start performing damn up ball. to expectation. <laughs> right. And if those expectations were too lofty, well, that's a whole other issue then, right. uh, because then the team just isn't any good. Right. Uh, you know, you, you can't you can't cut you can't cut that both ways. You can't say, well, you want all these guys to perform the expectations. Well, maybe the expectations were too high. Well, the expectations weren't all that high. Yeah, it was eighty four wins. Eighty four win projected <laughs> right. in over under and all that stuff. And you know, they're not that far off that pace. Except if they were on an eighty four win pace right now, they'd be up five games in the division or whatever right. it would yeah, be. So I, I don't know. I'm um, look the. It also comes down a lot to, I think, the attitude surrounding this team comes down a lot to the the looming nature of the 18 straight playoff losses and the lack of excitement that you're going to ever generate right. unless or until that streak is over right. in terms of winning weak divisions. Uh, nobody gives a crap about right. that anymore. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, it's I mean, better we, than and, not. And a week ago, uh, that was more of the discussion. The discussion was like, okay, right. that how do they get – they're good enough. They're good enough to win the division. How do they get to the point where they're good enough to really make a run in right. the playoffs? Like By the how, time how, September what, yeah. how rolls we, around. What, what kind of progress do we need to see in the next three months to Agreed. be able to see that? Well, that narrative is dead. Right. I mean, now, now, now it's like, are they good enough to win the division? And this was the same narrative as like, last season. Because they the seem way. to be going – the trend offensively has been downward. It is right. not. It is not. An, it is not a. Well, they're kind of finding their. You know, gradually kind of getting. No, better. no they're gradually worse. get worse. Yeah. That, that's the problem. We have to talk about this. Happiness is not where you are. It's which direction you're going. And right now, this, right. this direction is going down, and that is why we are all upset. You've taken okay. me into such depths of negativity, John. I'm normally <laughs> such an optimistic young gentleman. Let me uh, cheer you up, uh, Eric Lehman. Okay, with let's the words, see this. Town ball. Yeah. Okay. I've watched the town ball. Uh, listen, game. we talk a lot about how much we like Soda Stick and Soda Stick and what their what a hometown group they are. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they're made here, they're designed here, local company, etc. And they do almost exclusively local products, local teams, etc. Right now, they've got a new town ball. That Fox Nine is doing a town ball tour with for like seven games. They are going around in June and July to feature. Uh, various town ball leagues and uh, games that are going on, and with that, they've got a new uh, new Fox Nine Town Ball Tour col- collab shirt. It looked great. It's light blue on the back. It's got the the um, 
the cities that they're going to be here, yeah, the towns like a, they're going to be visiting. It's like a music tour. Yeah, it is kind of like a concert tour thing. They also have the uh, Bucky yeah, Trucking Company, although I think I think they're just about wrapping that one up. I, they might be out of stuff that they're going, but that's the way it goes with Soda Stick. You've got yeah. to go there and Small check Small batch, out. I always right. compare them to a good barbecue joint. Exactly. Uh, we got it until it's gone that day, and then it's gone. They also have stuff non-baseball, too, just all Minnesota sports, great right. designs, very clever Good designs and also good quality of shirt. I've actually commissioned them once uh-huh, yeah. to uh, make some shirts for Becky's uh, work. They had an outing, and I said, "I got just the guys for this." So we would. And there was a lot of pressure there. <laughs> yeah, yes, and they came through, and so many people <laughs> yeah. from her office said, "These are such great actual like the quality of right. the physical shirt is." Landon good. does such a nice job on all so, that stuff. So to stick, so to stick co uh, dot com. Check them out, and when you find some shirts that you like. Put them in your cart, and then you use the promo code Gleeman, and you get 15%, 15% off. That's right. On all 50% orders. off. What could be better than that? Uh, well, uh, yeah. a good meal. A good meal could be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and we can you can get a good meal delivered to you that you know you get to make. They give you everything that you want. You, they, you, get a, you get the meat. You get the directions. You get pictures of how to make it. Everything is portioned out the way you want it. It's all sitting in a little bag from you for you. From HelloFresh. Yes, you don't have to go grocery shopping. They have already done that for you. Like you said, it's all portioned <laughs> out and packaged. And then the thing that I appreciate as someone who has no clue what they're doing in the kitchen is that they give you a recipe, but it's more than just a recipe. It's like right. literal step-by-step, very straightforward instructions and with pictures. Right. Uh, so you actually know uh, what you're supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to cut it. And uh, we've both used this. Yes. Uh, my household is not good at cooking and has produced uh, very good meals with it that we're proud of. John's household is decent at cooking and has produced very Instagrammable uh, dishes <laughs> that, that people true. are very that, jealous. That is one of the nicer things about it is it's not only just edible. Uh, like they, they, they do zhuzh it up a little yeah. bit, so it's pretty good. Uh, Gleeman and the Geek listeners can go to HelloFresh.com slash Gleeman16, like the number one, one six, six. Uh, and then you use the code Gleeman16, and the reason it's Gleeman16 is that you get 16 free meals plus free shipping on all of it that they'll send it to you. So that's HelloFresh.com slash Gleeman16. Use the promo code Gleeman16, uh, America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. Okay. Um yeah, back to the. It's bad when the ads are like the bright spot of the show, and then yep. we're like, "Oh, now back to the team." Um, yeah, we can talk about the hitting, I guess, just to lay some <laughs> of the stuff out. Like I said, I wrote about this morning, but um, we should also note each of the last two Fridays, Carlos Correa's status has been in flux because mm-hmm. of his foot, mm-hmm. and we always record on Friday mornings, and both times we were like, "Man, I don't know. I'm skeptical. He's gonna." keep playing he's probably you know go to the ballpark later and find out he's on the il in both cases he avoided the il like you said he hit a homer yesterday um he's made though such little progress in part because of this foot injury now had kind of stopped any forward momentum that he had three weeks ago let's say right um but he's just made such little progress for digging out of the very deep hole Slump that he that he dug. I mean, there's been some moments, and, and I have certainly, trouble, I, but I have, I have trouble blaming it too much on the foot because I he mean, still looks knows? so good defensively. Yeah, I mean, the foot is definitely bothering him, but <laughs> right. I mean, who knows? It's it's tough to say at this point. But like we said, they are leading Major League Baseball in strikeouts, but they are not. I think they're tenth in homers, and like I said, twentieth in slugging percentage. Right. 
that that's not worth the. Tr- I mean, strikeouts. The reason doofuses like me are always like everyone's too obsessed with strikeouts is because the assumption is that well, yeah, they're striking out, but it's it's in search of or in the name of power right. and walks right. and and long at bats and production, um, which all correlate to run scoring. All those things. Whoa. It's not worth the trade-off of a strikeout if you're not hitting for power right. and you're not drawing a lot of then walks. Then you're just not hitting. Right. Then you're just not hitting. <laughs> right. And I yeah. think the, you know, I would encourage people to go read uh, Dan Hayes' article from like late last night where Popkins kind of did a state of the union and addressed the fact that the offense can't produce anything and right. what does he think is wrong. And, you know, I thought his quotes were fine. He did a He didn't shy away from it. He said, I take full responsibility, all that stuff. It's always funny to me that people are always like, we got to hold them accountable or they need to, you know, talk about it. And it's like, what do we expect to come from that? Like, it's great to stand up and say, I'm accountable. I take full responsibility. But what is the action point from that? Right. Nothing. It's just, the, I mean, it's better than the opposite, which is, it's not my fault. I'm just the coach. Right. That's a horrible thing to say. So he stressed basically two strike approach, which I, which I think is fair. Um, but I don't know. The thing I looked at today um, at The Athletic is, like what has been the kind of the source of this historic strikeout rate? Because I think people might perceive the Twins as having a high strikeout rate for a while now, but it's not actually true. They were uh, 19th out of 30 in strikeouts last season, and they were right around average the season before that. Mm-hmm. You know, this has not been a particularly high strikeout team. I think the perception comes from like Miguel Sano, obviously. Sure, right. Um, but to go from Below, like fewer than average number of strikeouts as a lineup last year, which they had. I think they struck out twenty times fewer than the average team. To you know, all time record pace right. is like a just a shocking jump, obviously. And you know, part of it is when you trade Luis Arise, who has right, literally yeah, the fair. lowest strikeout yeah, right. rate of any yeah, active fair. player. And you essentially replace him in the lineup, with not Joey Gallo, with Joey Gallo <laughs> right. who has literally the highest strikeout rate right. in the history of baseball. Well, there's no more extreme swap you can make in right. terms of saying we're intentionally going to increase our strikeouts here. Now, obviously, they did that to try to swap, you know, less slugging contact yes. for higher slugging right. and all that. It's, it hasn't worked real great because I think uh, Luis Rise is hitting 403 <laughs> and Joey Gallo. Well, he's been much better than his batting average suggests. He's hitting 188, and he's on the IL for the second time. Right. Um, but that does not explain – essentially, they're on pace for like I think 300 and something more strikeouts, or I, or they have 300 more strikeouts in this point last year, whatever it was. And that maybe explains 20% of that or something. Sure. What was really startling to me as I looked at the numbers for my thing this morning was – Almost every guy, regular on the team, there was, there's been 14 guys who have batted at least 100 times for the Twins okay. this season. 12 of the 14 have seen their strikeout rate go up compared to the previous three years. Okay. And the league-wide strikeout rate is actually slightly down compared to the really? previous uh, three years. Really? That surprises me. It's up slightly versus last year, but not versus, it's down slightly versus two years ago and three years ago. But, I mean, it's basically even. It's okay. 22.8% versus okay. 23.1%. Or so. But all I'm saying there is... The twin strikeouts have skyrocketed, and it's not like the other 29 teams have also skyrocketed. Right. But the, the thing that's so weird to me is, and I can, I'll cite some of the numbers, I guess, which is a lot of the biggest increases in strikeout rate this year compared to the past three years have been, A, veteran players, right. and B, 
veteran players, five of the six biggest jumps were guys they brought in this offseason. Uh, and I can list them. And the only guy out of the top six biggest increases in strikeouts this year versus the past is Correa, right. who they brought in two offseasons right. ago yeah, and then yeah, brought yeah. back okay. this offseason. But I'm going to, like, Kyle Farmer, the previous three years, struck out 17.7% of the time. Now, the league average, again, is like 23%. So that's a yeah, lower than sure. average strikeout rate. This year, 26.6%. That's an increase in terms of just percentage for, as right. opposed to percentage points. 50% increase in strikeouts. Yep. For a guy who's uh, 30 years old and has been a regular for three years now. Um, Christian Vasquez, 17.6%. The previous three years, again, a high-contact player. Uh, his strikeouts are up 40%. Willie Castro, up 34%. Huh. Michael Taylor, who's played 10 years in the majors, right. up uh, 32%. Yeah, that's true. Carlos Correa, up 28%. And then the one that really, Donovan Solano, who was specifically brought in after they traded Luis Arise right. to sort of at least approximate some of the bat-to-ball, you know, high-contact, line-drive approach, you know, Mr. Donnie Barrels. And he's been reasonably productive. His strikeouts are up 23%. Compared right. to the previous three years. And so why the, – the only guy they brought in this offseason whose strikeout rate has not skyrocketed since joining the Twins is Joey Gallo, yeah. <laughs> who has the highest strikeout That's rate right. in the history of right. baseball. There was nowhere to go but down for him. <laughs> right. And actually his strikeouts are up 3.6%, uh, but that's <laughs> not much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's very strange to me that they what brought in a lot of these guys for depth and role players – you know, Farmer, Vasquez, Castro signed to a minor league deal, but Taylor, Solano. And all of them have seen their strikeout rate go up right, 25, yeah. 30, 40, 50%. That's interesting. That's what starts to make me think, well, it's an approach thing. Right. Or it's a coaching yeah, thing. First. And I'm not saying Kyle Farmer showed up here after playing six years in the majors and the hitting coach told him, take more strikes, and he started doing that. What I'm saying is the emphasis that the Twins put in terms of their game planning and their approach seems to be something that they now feel needs to be adjusted, especially with two strikes. But, I, right. I, I mean, so often they've been just taking grooved fastballs on the first or second pitch, falling behind in the count, and then just t- chasing garbage, or getting to 2-2, two, 3-2, two, two, and then just seemingly guessing right. what the pitch is going to be, right. and then someone just throw Correa did this in a key at bat yeah. yesterday or the day before. 3-2, uh, 94-mile-an-hour fastball, a yep. little bit low, but right down the middle. Just took it, 3-2, yeah. right. because yep. clearly he was guessing either off-speed yeah, yeah. or zeroing in on a specific part of the plate, and it didn't get there. And that seems to be what the overall approach is. And when it clicks, when they have a perfect game plan, they can sort of ambush some of these starters and knock them out early. We saw that last year with, like, Garrett Cole or whatever. But more often than not, they just seem almost helpless to do anything or to string together any sort of long-form offense other than popping the occasional solo homer or whatever. And I think, you know, obviously it's good that Baldelli and Popkins and some of the players are beginning to talk about this relatively openly about, you know, there needs to be changes, there needs to be approach. The difficult part is when you ask them to zero in on what that means, Right. they're either unwilling or unable to to really say that like Popkins said two strike approach but what does that mean yeah. be better with two strikes or does this mean we're doing too much of this too much of that so but yeah that was the startling thing is so like that, that is, that is every guy you bring in and these are not young guys who are sort of not fully formed these are fully formed veterans right. who were brought in for their veteranness right. 
uh, Solano and Farmer and Taylor, and every guy you bring in sees their strikeouts go up 30, 40, 50%. That seems very strange to me. Yeah, right? I mean, I I think that's probably true. It feels like that is uh, what has happened. Now, you, you can take a look at sort of the philosophy that this organization has had regarding the importance of strikeouts versus the importance right. of slugging percentage, et cetera, and say, well, yeah, that was what they were trying. They were trying to trade strikeouts for more power. Now, the problem is they haven't really added the power. Right. right? I mean, maybe Taylor's slugging percentage is up. I'm not even sure. I right? Mean, uh, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know if Farmers. I don't think it's Farmers not. is particularly up. No. up right? So... <laughs> I guess it's one thing if you want to say, okay, I mean, in that case, it's sort of like, well, how much do you blame Popkins for implementing that, which the organization is, sure. is sort of trying to trying to emphasize, has always tried to emphasize. But a couple of things about that. First of all, they didn't implement it well because they just got the strikeouts and they didn't get the power. Right. Right. So that did you not got work. the worst of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, got the, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, second of all, you know, maybe there is, you know, something to be said with, you know, you can have just too many, too much of that particular emphasis on thing, especially after, sure. you know, 2019, we praised them for uh, for that particular philosophy because there was a juiced ball. It was all going over the over the uh, right. Over but the except fence. even in 2019, their home runs were massive. They set the record. Right. Their yes. strikeouts were not right. historically high. Right. That's right. But we were talking about, you know, kind of swinging away and tr- trying to yes. elevate the ball and launch angle and all this but stuff. Think of, by break. the way, one of the talking points that year was how often they were ambushing pitchers first or second pitch in the at-bat, you throw this team a meatball and they're going to crush it. Right. That's yes. gone completely well, that, away. Well, that's true, too. Uh, that's true. That's so a fair again, point. I, 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 I agree with what you're saying, but I just they just seem almost backwards in what they're doing, and they just seem sort of aimless or lost at the plate. Yes. And obviously, when a team is hitting this poorly, it's very easy to attach these type of words or characterizations about <laughs> sure, that. Sure, right. But that, I mean, and maybe you can fool your brain in, because my brain knows they're not hitting. Right. So then yes. I watch them take a first pitch strike over the middle, and then I watch them swing at a slider with two strikes, and I think, well, the first one was the one to hit. And then you'd right. never be in the position to have two strikes and chase and all that stuff. And I think that's been with an example with Correa has been prominent in that regard. Yep. He just seems to take strike after strike after strike and then gets in trouble and falls some pitches away. And then, you know, he's already too deep in the woods to get out at this point because he's not playing well. But I mean, the other thing that strikes me about that is that might – that's that sounds like it's something the organization has preached, and I can see that happening. It's very different than what Baldelli was talking about in spring training, right? He was he was exactly the opposite of that when you talk about. He's like, we don't want to sit back and wait for the right. three run home run. We want to try and make things happen. He he seemed to be emphasizing a very different type of offensive approach. Mm-hmm. And but we've it, seen uh, almost none of that. We, yeah, and, we, and by the way. How, it right. now seems absurd to emphasize that after you traded away Luis Rice and replaced well, him with Joey. I mean, well, that would be another example of of the philosophy being strikeouts are not that bad. Right. We, we traded for we we'd rather have you know strikeouts with power than yes. balls in play with no power. Right. I, I mean, mean let's be honest. If they had the highest strike, if they had the identical strikeout total right now, but they were third in homers and fifth in slugging percentage. They'd be winning this division by half dozen games, sure. and people might be saying, "Well, do we think like come October these strikeouts are hurt them?" But this would not be a talking point. It's only really a talking point th- at this level of talking point. It would be. I mean, you're on pace to set the record for strikeouts. It's going to be a talking point, but it would only be this point of emphasis where people are so focused on this, and rightfully, 
because it's not attached to the good things. It's only the bad things. Striking right. out yes. is a bad right. thing. Yes. But the reason modern baseball only doesn't view it as the worst thing of all time and canceling right. out everything is because it's attached to good things. Well, when you separate that, when it's just on its own and it's not attached to three run homers <laughs> and it's right. not attached to getting on base and it's not attached to, you know, doubles and triples and home runs and slugging percentage and all that. Well, then all you're doing is just empty at bats. <laughs> right. That's and right. there's just been so many empty at bats. And I do think, you know, watching them, there's a fine line between. Because, look, Cleveland has the fewest strikeouts in the league, and they've scored fewer runs than the Twins. Striking out versus not striking out is not the be-all, end-all of good offense versus not. Believe me, Cleveland fans are frustrated equally, but for the exact opposite reasons. They're saying, well, what good does all this contact do if it's just all singles and they don't score any runs because they got to get seven hits in a row to score two runs? And wouldn't, wouldn't they be better off swapping some of this contact for power. Right. And so, yes, it's, there's always a too hot, too cold. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. just right. The, the, what was that? So you're suggesting the Twins and Cleveland need to make some trades. Yes. They should They should merge <laughs> rosters and then create two lineups out of that. And it would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen Kwan would, can lead be, off for the that Twins. That would be one hell of a story if the two division yeah. leaders, uh, the two div- yeah, the two division leaders of the AL Central said, you know, what, we're going to do a three for three trade. Yeah, we want three of it. your slash guys, and you get three I'll of take, our um, empty strikeout guys. I'll take uh, I'll take uh, Kwan Ramirez, <laughs> and uh, we'll trade you Gallo for Kwan. Let's yeah, start with that. Let's one. start there. <laughs> we'll, yeah. <laughs> I love, I love that idea. Yeah, Jose Ramirez had, uh, <laughs> Jose Ramirez, who, by the way, about five years running, is my pick for the single most underrated yeah, um, player. Fair. Not only now, but I would say like in my lifetime. Like the, the degree to which people don't recognize that he's just been a superstar for 10 years is strange. He had three homers yesterday. But um, a couple the, other okay, – uh, well, uh, Just to kind of polish that up, the <laughs> – it, it doesn't really matter whether or not that their intention was to do this and it has not worked, or if right. they just botched the implementation of it. Right, because right? the end result is I mean, the same. Either way, you're at a point now where it's clear you've got a problem. Yeah. And, and the problem is apparent, and I don't think the solution is to lean into it more. Right? And it right. sounds like that they agree that that is I not mean, the solution. I mean, they recognize it's right. a problem. Baldelli has been talking about the poor quality of the at-bats, the bad sort of execution or approach, and specifically right. the strikeouts for about a month now, pretty right. consistently. And he's not a guy who's going to single players out and rip them, and he's not a guy who's going to rip his coaches either. But when he comes in post-game and says, we just didn't give ourselves a chance to win, you know, the the quality of the at-bats we took, the game plan we had, it just doesn't work. I mean, that's about as far – I mean, that's as close to like a Bobby Knight chair throwing as he's going to get, basically. Um, So, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I've kind of come to see the front office this way with a lot of things. Which is, I do think they're smart, and I do think they say a lot of the right things, and I do think they attempt to do a lot of the right things when it comes to signings and trades and how to build a team and all that. But who cares if they're not successful at it? Do you know what I mean? Like, you can know what you need to do, and you can even sort of act as if and be aggressive at the trade deadline. But if every trade you make fails or you know, it's. I would view it as a good thing in general that a front office can say, "Yeah, the strikeouts aren't pretty. Nobody wants that, but that's a way to have a thriving offense in the year 2023 is to get walks and homers right. and the potential for beginnings. And if that comes with strikeouts, so be it. Except they've botched that. 
They haven't yes. gotten the good parts of it, and they've gotten the bad parts. And now, you're, and now you're stuck in the middle of the season trying to figure right. out how to fix things, right? Which, and, as anybody will tell you, I know everyone wants every coach fired and every player benched and all that stuff, but uh, you know, I don't. It's going to be very difficult. I mean, they, they're going to have to figure out to something. make a move like that on the fly. And I mean, let's be honest. They won't even like cut Max Kepler. <laughs> like we're asking that we're expecting them to make these big, massive organizational changes. Yeah, it's a lot easier to fire a coach than it is to. to well, it's pretty well. easy to fire a player. They've done it before. Um, <laughs> by the way, true. Kepler, I wrote this oh, down. Let's let's do a quick. Hold on. I just want to read it. Okay. I said is uh, okay. We haven't even talked that much. Last sponsor, <laughs> Hold on. All right. Um, where did I have this? Kepler, since coming off the IL, without okay. a rehab assignment, by the way, right. it was so necessary yes. for them to get him in the lineup the next day and to send down a guy who had reached base in eight straight plate appearances mm-hmm. in Matt Walner. Uh, he's, he's played nine games. He's hit uh, 129, zero extra base hits, and one walk. It would be hard to be worse than that, uh, <laughs> generally. And also with Kepler, made a bad base running play two games ago. I did not hear this quote, so I will be that you have it for me. So Baldelli uh, pregame yesterday, uh, let me punch up the quote, Dan tweeted it out, but uh, (laughs) pregame yesterday talked about uh, Kepler's base running mistake, which he didn't, he was on first, it was first and second, uh, was it Royce who took off for third? And then he just stayed on first on the yeah, play. I think so. Anyway, right. He just kind of fell asleep. And right. Didn't take the extra base that was just there Waiting for the taking, right. basically, and potentially could have led to a run. Right. At that point, let me try to find uh, Dan's quote here. But turns out Dan tweets a lot. <laughs> yes, he okay. does, especially during um, games. Here's yeah. what Baldelli said because he was asked about it the next day. Um, I know it was Taylor who stole third. Yes. Yes. I was right. thinking it was Royce, right, but it was right, Taylor, right. Yes. and then Kepler just Taylor was a monster on the bases, and he hit a homer. Yeah. Um, Here's what Baldelli said. Uh, Max should have been on second base. This is a baseball play, and they weren't holding him. They were actually just giving him second base. That's more being on the ball than probably anything else, which is what I'm saying. He fell asleep, basically. (laughs) And, you know, that's uh, pretty calm as far as uh, publicly criticizing a player goes, except in Rocco Baldelli terms, that is fire and brimstone. (laughs) Uh, You know, he will almost never uh, offer anything but praise or right. maybe neutral uh, comments about a player like that. Right. So for him to, by name, publicly. Yes. Um, to the media. To the media, on camera, I'm right. assuming, or at least with recorders going, right. and say, yeah, Max screwed up, and you know, not say it was a heat of the moment, just saying it was a brain fart, basically. To which I say, what's it going to take? Like, I don't, I, I truly, I've reached the point where I just, I don't really understand it. Like, he's now in his third year in a row, Max Kepler, right. of being a below-average hitter. It does not seem to be going getting better, right. really. And the whole notion of, well, hey, the veteran at least provides a stable floor. You know, if you call up a rookie and they just flop, you're in trouble. <laughs> well, he's hitting 180. Yeah. And he's been, We're not looking for a stable floor. We're looking for a high floor. Well, right. He's got a low floor. And, yes, it has been very stable. <laughs> yeah, it's been stable. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, I just I don't understand. I don't know. I mean, they just get it. I mean, I'm sure I would be the same way if I were front of. You get attached to certain players where you think they're more valuable than everyone else thinks, and you're hesitant to trade them, or hesitant to cut them, or hesitant to bench them, or just hesitant to move on. Right. We, I mean, 
Everybody gets that way. You can get that way in your personal life. John's like that with this podcast <laughs> co-host. He knows he should move on, but he just can't. That's right. But I mean, what has to happen at this point? Think of the things that, by the way, have happened. The offense in general has been horrible. It is costing them a chance to run away from this division. They are below 500 with one of the three best pitching staffs in baseball. Right. Okay. Uh, Kepler is hitting like 185 overall. He's also hit like 185 in the second half of last year. He's already been on the IL twice, so he's not even dependable from that standpoint. And he's hitting a completely empty 129 since being rushed back from the IL. And you have the hottest AAA hitter that you're going to have, your reigning minor league player of the year, by the way, just waiting in the wings, who have already held his own in the majors. And then as the uh, cherry on the poop Sunday – He's not even playing fundamentally good baseball. He's just sort of not awake out there. At what point, like, what does he have to do? And the problem is they made their bed here, and so they're lying in it. They should have traded him, clearly. And this is, believe me, this doesn't take hindsight. I wrote about 400 articles about this to the point that people were, like, mocking me. Why do you keep – I'm going to be honest, to the point that a Twins front office person mocked me. (laughs) But he said, boy, you're really trying to get us to trade Kepler, huh? Yeah, I was. Should have. Um, and I'm just so confused about the the each step along the way of like, well, yeah, we're pretty sure we could get good value for him, but but we're not going to do that in the off season. And then we're going to put him in the leadoff spot early in the year, and then we're going to call up rookies to sub for him because he's constantly going on the IL with minor injuries and even when those guys perform well well Max has got to get right back into the lineup no rehab assignment and then he's hitting 129 and he's still playing pretty much every day yeah and uh making just miscues to the point that the manager's calling him out publicly which he never does and it has seems to have no effect like I just I don't understand the hold that Max Kepler has over them, other than he's making eight and a half million dollars, but that's a decision they screwed up in January. Um, and it'd be one, as we say, it'd be one thing if the alternative was Mark Contreras you know, or Kyle Garlick right. or something like that, right. just some random AAA. Although it's not totally clear that that would still not well, be an upgrade. Right. I mean, right. it's gotten to the point where right. replacing Kepler's actual production is no longer an issue at all. Right. I mean, Matt Walner's not going to be worse than Max Kepler has been because other than John Bonus trying to hit major league pitching, as we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now, it's going to be very difficult to do that. So I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. I, I don't know what else we can say. And I realize it sounds like we're just beating a dead horse over and over again. But I'm going to be honest. I did not expect this dead horse to be in my lawn for this long. <laughs> I thought they'd take it away at some point and we could stop beating it. Like every day I walk out and there's just a dead horse in my driveway. And it's like, do you want me to not comment on it? It seems like we're commenting on it a lot. We are. It's a dead horse in the driveway. Like, what are we doing? There's an analogy for you, by the way. <laughs> I want to follow up with Sometimes that. Sometimes I say I want this, to follow up with a larger point. And I the- just see John's eyes like this is the worst analogy anybody's ever <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. I, I want to follow up uh, that with a larger, uh, larger point. But first, let's uh, cover a couple of quick sponsors. Uh, one of our sponsors that we've had recently a lot is BetterHelp. Uh, listen, we tried to do what we can to help you folks out with a little. Yeah. Uh, with a we're little, not. Little, we're, we're not, not professional therapists. No. Yeah, but exactly. you can speak to a licensed therapist, right? About whatever, how, however big or small. Common or uncommon, your issue is that's kind of holding you back or bugging you in life when you wake up and you think it'd be nice to talk to someone about this. And the beauty of BetterHelp is 
you don't have to go through all the hoops. There's not these barriers right. for entry of setting it up through your insurance and all that. They can. As somebody who's, who has done therapy, let me tell you, that's yes. that's not easy to get past. It's hard to find the right person. You've got to you know you got to get recommendations from people. You so know. The, the way BetterHelp works is they can set you up with a licensed therapist within like 48 or 72 hours. If you want to do a video chat. They can set that up. If you say, I right. don't, don't want to be on camera, you can do a phone call. If you're right. like me and you hate phone calls, you can just do a live chat where you're just chatting with a therapist. Right. They will tailor it to whatever you're most comfortable with. So, And it's, you know, it fits with your schedule. It's yes. a lot more affordable than the regular uh, therapy. You can so. find more balance with BetterHelp. And for our listeners, you can visit betterhelp.com slash Gleeman today. You get 10%. Off your first month to give it a try. That's BetterHelp H E L P dot com slash Gleeman. And then let's talk a little bit about Game Time. Game Time is one of our newer newer uh, sponsors, and I got to tell you, they're definitely being used a lot because I'm getting a lot of messages from a lot of people saying, "I like getting twenty bucks off uh, off of my Twins tickets," yes. uh, which you're going to be able to get. We're going to tell you about it. But basically, first of all, what you do is you go download Game Time app. Yes. Right. You set up an account. And you use the promo code Gleeman, and you're going to get 20 bucks off your first purchase. They specialize in sort of available tickets, last right. minute, right. hard yes. to find. Right. You know, oh, you just thought an hour before, hey, it'd be fun to go to the game. Oh, we'll never be able to get good seats. Game time app. Can I, set I, I'm up. not necessarily. I mean, with obviously we use them for Twins games, right? But you use them for all kinds of sports. You can also use them for concerts and stuff. They've got all enormous uh, concerts at the Armory and stuff. I saw all kinds of concerts out there as well. So yes, if you, you know, want last minute or hard to find tickets or just tickets in general, download the Game Time app, create an account, and then use the code Gleeman, and you'll get twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. But again, create an account, redeem the code Gleeman for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price, guaranteed. All right. The larger point I wanted to follow up on with the yeah, Kepler thing we was a week, ahead. even a week ago, when we were optimistic, and we we're we we're still talking about oh the offense needs to be fixed. Right. right. We did say you know at some point we are getting to the point where you've got to start making some tough decisions. Yes. All the easy solutions they didn't work. Right. We are now into into June. We or, are past Memorial Day. Or even whether they were easier or hard, I get what you're saying. The initial batch of decisions that you made coming into spring training or right. leaving the right. offseason, one of which was to keep Kepler for eight and a half million, right. to keep Walner and the minors behind him, to you know keep Kepler as a primary player for you, those have gone wrong. Also, also we're at the point now where right. you no longer just have to stick with that because that was right. your initial. Decision. Also, the stuff like oh well, Royce Lewis is going to eventually get healthy, Kirilov's right. going to get healthy, Polanco's going right. to get healthy. All of these things have happened, and we are still where we are. At some point, you've got to start making some cuts. To the bone, <laughs> where things are going right. to hurt a little bit, right? And I agree. I, it feels to me like they still aren't like that. Can, those guys can be. We got to get rid of Max Kepler, or we have to make a, a, co a, ch a coach, coaching change someplace, or um, we have to deny. We have to put somebody on the IL when they don't want to go on the IL to get sure. healthy again, or like, just role oh, changes. Right. Or the, there's yes. At some point, you've got to start leaning into and making some unpopular decisions yes. within the organization, right? And it feels like. They still they we're just, still waiting for that to happen. They're, they're constantly and and this has been seven years of this. And it's not like they're treading they, water. They are sinking. Right. <laughs> they, right. They will kick the can down the road on decisions, and a lot of times that's a positive thing in terms of keeping all your possible depth, not parting ways with a guy too early. You know, right. keeping a prospect in the minors and a veteran in the and, majors. And there is definitely 
an advantage to being patient right. at baseball. But right. nobody's going to hand you an award at the end of the season for maintaining the most depth when you miss the playoffs by five games. Right. And if you stick with Max Kepler, nobody's going to go, well, yeah, you, Max Kepler hit the 201 and you finished five games behind Cleveland in a very winnable division. But, hey, you maintain maximum depth depth because you still have Walner at AAA (laughs) and you know all this and you don't get any medals for that and so you start to get into the meat of the season in June and July and you start to look at the shape of this division and the chance you've already blown to run away and hide from this thing and now you just have to fight right and I just I have a really hard time thinking that even the people in that clubhouse when they look around at the names on the lockers and the names in the lineup and the names on the roster that they're not saying to themselves, is this the best 13 hitters we got? Are, are, is this the best group that we can assemble here to right. try to win this very winnable division? Is this the best lineup that we can piece together? And I do think also you start to look at, you know, there's no room for so-and-so. There's no room for this. There's no room for Julian unless Polanco's hurt because they're not playing him anywhere but second base. There's no room for Walner because they're using Larnack and Kepler. But here's the thing. They're also using Donovan Solano every day, and they're using Michael Taylor every day, and they're using Willie Castro every day. And Solano and Castro have been reasonably productive. But right. have they been great players? Are they are they players you want to hand 450 plate appearances to, which they're basically on pace for? Right. You know, 400, 450 plate appearances. Is, was this part of your planning, or was th- were these guys meant to be sort of the ancillary depth right. who have now been pushed into regular roles? I mean, when they signed Donovan Solano, they basically said, we just needed a right-handed bat against lefties. Well, okay, great. That's a role at which he can do well. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's playing first base, and he's batting third or cleanup against righties twice a week. Right. Like, when you're at that point, and you have multiple top prospects playing well at AAA and Walner and Julian – it's just it becomes like almost like an absurd situation where it's right. like the the major league lineup can't score runs. Well, it's just a damn shame they have no one they can. Oh, oh, you're saying they have two guys with a 950 OPS who are top prospects at AAA? Well, yeah, but the, positionally they just can't fit in. B- bullshit. Fit them somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, look, I'm watching Donovan Solano play defense. I'm watching Willie Castro play center field. I'm watching, you know, right. on and on and on and on. Right. Let's not act like this is, you know, the big red machine or the, the you know, the the eighty or the sixties uh, Orioles defensively or something like that. I mean, it's well, it's a mistake I'll, to me that they have not given Julian reps at first base or left field because he could really help them. And now maybe at some point in this next week he's going to step in for an injured Polanco and it'll be somewhat of a moot point. But like the idea that these t- to me in my mind. In mid-June of a season like this, these two things cannot run parallel to each other. You cannot look at a lineup that is failing to score any sort of runs to support a good pitching staff and also look at a AAA team that has two or three really good performing legitimate prospects. Those two things should not be running parallel to each other. Those two things need to intersect at some point. And maybe it's messy. Maybe you throw Julian out in left field or at first base and he makes – Ten horrible defensive plays, right. but you're at least giving yourself a chance with some bats that have some upside and are performing well at the level below the majors, and that you do have yep. future hope for. Yep. And that they're just trotting out these lineups with Kepler and Solano and Castro and just guys that you're just right. like, what are we doing? And Taylor and Vasquez, like it's well, not, right. it's not, it's not too surprising when you take a look at how often those five guys who listen. 
some of them are playing fairly well. Castro's playing out of his mind. Yes, by their right. standards, right. Solano and Castro have been perfectly right. solid. Yeah, they're success stories. But right, uh, of the we're also talking right. about you know Solano's a first baseman DH with I think a 100 OPS plus. Well, that's not that's not good, and he's right. not a good defender. Right. Willie Castro plays everywhere. Great, great guy to have on the bench. I think he started like 18 in the last 22 games or something like that. And he's hit well. I'm not right. saying that. Right. But what I'm saying is this was not supposed to be part of the plan. And so and you can chalk some of that up to injuries. But at some point, you have to say, we've got to make right. some moves here. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take it one step further than that. If you don't make some decisive moves during the season to fix this, right. and they end up short yes. at the end of the season, there will be decisive moves after the season. Yeah, that, 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 I can't. You mean with I, players? Or no, you mean, I'm talking with coaching staff. Well, yeah, probably. Right. But I mean, I mean how many, and, hit, and, how many and, hitting and, coaches and, can and, they go and, through? And particularly Rocco. At some point, if this, I'd be if surprised this, by that. I, you see, think about where this team could end up, and the narratives around it after after this start. Here's the thing, though, and we talked about this before, and that's something that gets talked about in sports in general. But what you know, when a front office takes over, and if the team is struggling three, four, five years in, whatever it is, in this case, seven years in. Well, what happens? Well, first, they change some players because that's easy. Then they change some some coaches. I mean, right. you see it in football all the time. Right. Well, we, we fired the offensive line coach, whatever. Right. If it keeps struggling, then you start to go up the coaching that's ladder exactly a little right. bit. And then you start to get to offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, hitting coaches, pitting. Right. Well, they've already fired a hitting coach. Right. They've already changed over a hitting that's coach. That's what <laughs> And then you get to the manager, obviously, yeah. or the head coach or whatever. And that's the point you're making, which – yeah, logically, whatever. But here's all I'm saying. They've already changed managers once. Well, uh, that's fair. This front office. And they've changed coaches three different times on, on both fronts. They, they, by the yeah. way, this is either the third or their fourth hitting coach and their third or their fourth pitching coach in right. seven years. Yes, right. So I don't disagree with the premise of what you're saying, but here's what I will say. That's the last step before it's just sure. on you. No, I know. Uh, and so I think they're he- they will be hesitant to do that. I also am, am very yeah, much not in the camp where I'm going to point to Rocco no, 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 no. as a source of this problem. Right. But at some point, it, it almost doesn't matter. You're right. right. But that's all I'm saying is that I think this front office is more attached to Baldelli and vice versa than you, than you might think just in the sense that if you change managers again and presumably play, change hitting coaches and whatever it is, well then, what if you struggle that's next it. year? Then that's it, yeah, right? I mean, like what the uh, agreed, but that's not that's not why they'd make that change. But you can kick that can again down the road. No, what, what ends up happening is the heat ends up being on you, yeah. And to get the heat off of you, to give yourself one more year to fix things around, you get a new manager. Yeah, but there's no heat on them. They're not going to get fired this year. I mean, I'm, them being Falvey yeah, and Levine right. in the yeah. front office. I mean, I would be just absolutely floored by that. Uh, given the relationship they have with the Polads and, and the, yeah. the sort of uh, whether you think it's uh, an Empire's new uh, clothes thing or legitimate, but just the sense in that organization that they're they're smart and they're doing things the right way. I think that's top to bottom. That that's the perception, and I agree with that in a lot of cases. But as we just talked about, I think there are a lot of cases where the evidence just isn't there for that. And maybe they are smart, and maybe they are doing the process is right. But at some point, if the results aren't good, then then what's the difference? But right. yeah, I mean, I, first of all, let's be realistic. They're in first place now. It's a sure. the worst yes, possible sure. first right. place. Yes. You know, they're not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not demanding a mid-season sure. change in the front office. No, I get what you're be saying. Be very not, clear on this. Yeah. What I'm saying is that if they disappoint again yeah. this season, 
There's well, going well, there's this, going to be that change is not going to stop at the hitting coach. This comes down to something that this podcast almost revolves around, which is could do, should do, right. will do. Right. Could do, should do are often very very different than will do. Yeah, maybe. And I'm just saying whether whether you think could do, should do, you know, what could they do? Well, they could fire everybody. They could trade everybody. What should they do? You're making a point that or a case for that. You know, we, we've got three and a half months for a really right. ugly narrative to develop Absolutely. around this team. All I'm saying is, will do. I will just be so. I mean, look, if they collapse again down the stretch and they lose, you know, twenty five out of the last thirty or whatever they did last year, yeah, yeah and they finish fourth, third, and even a, if they just kind of continue what they're doing, but you know, yeah, end see, up I, ten games under, I, end up ten games under five hundred. Well, yeah, five games under five hundred. They seventy, they're seventy five win team. I'm not ruling it out. I just would be so shocked by that, yeah. just given the overall kind of tenor of of organizationally the relationships and the the just the feeling there. There's definitely yeah. a feeling that. You know they're doing the right thing now. I think some of that came from, hey, they got Correa. They had such a successful offseason while right, just becoming an emperor's new clothes. Well, thing, that's true. Which is right. like, how long do we continue to talk about that when most of the offseason moves are not good? Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a difficult spot. I I think the points you're making are valid in like a big picture sense or just sort of a how would a normal front office be treated? How would a normal coaching staff be right. treated? I just – and maybe my read of the vibes are are way off, but I just would be absolutely floored by that, yeah. um, whether it's right or wrong. Here's the thing. I think that's absurd to think about in June. Sure. But I think we might have a very different view of it in October. Well, that's true too. Um, let's see. And a couple other uh, – Couple of things. We talked about Willie Castro, which God love Willie Castro. He's been so much better than anybody could have expected. <laughs> I can't believe. I mean, but we, Willie we did Castro not, we led off spring training, and we weren't really right. Like we didn't think this guy had a chance of making it in the team. We, but I think there's a Willie Castro led off the other day, uh, two games ago, I guess. <laughs> and uh, Willie Castro this season, which is by far the best season of his career. Yes, he has a three fourteen on base percentage. And a forty-three to six strikeout to walk ratio. Right. That's who you have in the leadoff spot. And you might be saying, "Well, who else is going to go in the leadoff spot?" He's hitting hot. Yeah, fine. Willie Castro, even with that good stretch for the Twins included, he has played three hundred and fifty-two games in the major leagues over the course of five seasons, and he has a two ninety-four on base percentage. Well, who are we fooling that Willie Castro's in the leadoff spot? Right. You think Willie Castro's a completely new player with a 43 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio? Or has he had a few, three good weeks where he's hit the ball kind of hard a few times and he's had some good results? Like, th- this is just, and I get it's a team just scrambling for stuff. Right. You know, Joey Gallo's I mean, that, this, g- this comes Kapler's back to which other left hander you're putting in the leadoff spot exactly. Right. Which, by the way, really makes the, the case for the Arise trade being disastrous right. so far. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we were kind of coin flip a little bit on the like. I thought theoretically trading a bat for a pitcher made a lot of sense. I, I, I still th- think Pablo. That, that, was, that was my biggest question at the time: was Do we really need more pitching? Right. <laughs> well, well, uh, I, I still think Pablo Lopez has performed better than his ERA suggests, and is still very promising long term as like a number two starter. Um, but it's just hard to come to any sort of conclusion other than oops. When the guy you traded away is hitting four oh three in in mid June, and you're struggling to piece together any sort of offense, I mean, it, the biggest Twins defender in the world's got to go. Ooh, that doesn't. That's not. It does not look great in terms of optics. Of course, to trade a guy who's hitting four oh three for a guy who has a four twenty five ERA. What whatever you thought of the deal at the time, whatever you think the deal over the next three years 
Um, well, one of the knocks against Luis Arias, even when that trade happened, is he hasn't been he hasn't been good at staying healthy. Right. And now he's been healthy. Now we also heard over and over both previous off season and this off season how he's really working to try and strengthen things. So yeah. that he's working on doing things to stay healthy, to remain healthy. And what we're seeing is what a healthy Luis Arise can do over a, sure. a full season. I mean, we'll yeah, see. nobody has ever at any point doubted his ability to hit. Right. I mean, he hit 350 in the minors. He's hitting 325 and now 400 in the majors. Like, I mean, the guy was put on earth to hit. Right. He's just a little ball of nothing who hits. Right. I mean, that's just what he is. Um, but, yeah, I mean... <laughs> They also came to the conclusion that he was only a first baseman in a DH. Well, wow. Kirloff's playing first base and doing pretty well, and they committed now to having Buxton at DH. Now, are either of those guys hitting well enough to displace a guy hitting 403? Well, no, obviously not. But the thought process has kind of played out how they thought it was, which is we have first baseman and DHs. We don't have Pablo Lopez. But, yeah, well, I mean, the, there's no way to look at that and say it's gone well so far. But here's the thing, and Barrera asked me this yesterday. He's like, how bad is this Arise trade looking? And I said what I just said, which is, well, it's not looking good, obviously. Right. Uh, it's not even close to the worst trade they've made in the last 12 months. <laughs> I mean, not right, even yeah, anywhere right, close. Right, right. Uh, the Tyler Malley trade is significantly worse and only going to get worse. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, Jorge Lopez trade in which they gave up a good prospect in Cade Povich and probably the best reliever in baseball now in Janier Cano, which no one saw coming. I'm not saying that right, anybody yes, should have right, seen that. Right. For Jorge Lopez, who's been essentially unusable for about <laughs> half the time he's been on the team, both last year and now this year. Right. Uh, that trade looks horrendous and is only going to get worse. The Mali trade is done from the twin standpoint right. and is only going to get worse. I mean, if anything, the Lopez for uh, a rise trade looks just like business as usual <laughs> compared to those. Now, look, they've made great trades, too. They got Joe Ryan for two months of Nelson Cruz. They got Johan Duran for two months of Eduardo Escobar. I mean, there's been some home right. run trades, too. But, man, the the attempt to get pitching and within that, the inability to develop your own pitching, which was supposed to be their strength, right. so that you have to go trade Luis Arise for Pablo Lopez, and you have to go trade for a flash in the pan, it appears, closer from Baltimore, and you have to go trade two very good close to the majors hitting prospects for Tyler Malley. Individually, again, I had no problem with, right. and, with those moves. And to be fair, pitching has been really good. And pitching has been really good. <laughs> right, yes, Although right. not because of Lopez, Malley, and, and well, that's true. Lopez. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Really? I mean, I mean, what ended up happening is they ended up developing some of the young talent. They had uh, suddenly uh, yes. Ober and Varlin look really good. Well, and, and, and Ryan, Ryan is unbelievable, right? Yeah. Uh, and Sonny Gray obviously having a 212 ERA. So one of the things that we talked about a lot last year was Arise not being valuable versus left-handed pitching. Right, we talk about like right. here's why you bench arise versus left handed pitching. Sure. There's another one of the reasons why when the trade happened, we're like, well, you know, there there's a lot of things that right that we, to, we might overrate Luis Arise in with general. the twin. Yeah, because people say, well, how can you keep a three twenty hitter out of the lineup? Right. Well, because he's a three thirty hitter against righties and a two sixty hitter with no right. power against lefties. You see, he, have you seen what his split is versus lefties? No, but right I mean. I can do the math in my head <laughs> that he's been playing every day for Miami. He's hitting 403. So yeah, I'm going to yeah. say it's about at least 380. He's three, hitting 382 for oh, right? I, I didn't look. That's I'm just really, guessing. That's a really good guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it probably especially stings with Twins fans because when we talked about this when he was traded away. Right. 
uh, we have an attachment to batting uh, batting champion yes. types. Like that's a tra- Minnesota Twins tradition. And the last time, you know, not the last time in Major League Baseball, anybody really chased 400. But we all, those of us who are old enough to be alive in 1977 and remember it, remember a twin trade chasing 400 and how much fun that was. Right. So, but he only hit to, 388 to see that, that from afar. Is the bum <laughs> exactly? So, um, let's see a couple other uh, notes on hitting, and then I got a couple other just sort of uh, things we can finish on. But the uh, I talked about how like over the past I don't know three four weeks, Baldelli has been much more kind of upfront or public or on the record about, you know, I don't like the at-bats, I don't like this. Right. And the thing he kept saying over and over, particularly with bases loaded, but just in general, was sometimes all you got to do, and this is a direct quote, is hit the ball forward <laughs> any way you want. And this is this is my point about hitting. Right. For me hitting. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine to Sometimes all you have to do. I'm not it's saying like, you don't know what you need to do. I'm saying you can't do what you need to do, which I guess is sort of what we're saying about the Twins, too, in a way. But I, I do think we're seeing a little bit more of that. Uh, just the don't go searching for the perfect at bat. Right. Don't go searching. We have to get up 3-1 or 2-1 on this pitcher, and then they're going to throw me a meatball, and then I'm going to crush it. Sometimes on the first pitch, they groove you a fastball. Just right. Hit as hard as you can somewhere. Right. And I, I do think we're seeing slightly more of that. But more and more as I look at this roster, I don't know that they're even really built for that. Like I don't I don't know what this offense is really built for. It's a lot of just like spare parts and high strikeout guys. Yeah. I mean, it's fine to say to like Trevor Larnick, see ball, hit ball. But that's never been his approach. And Gallo, it's certainly not his approach and you know all that. So um, – Couple of uh, the Polanco thing could potentially be uh, damaging for them. Although again, they have Julian that can right. step in and probably should uh, step in. My assumption is that Buxton will probably come off the IL once they get back home. Um, I would think. So. Similarly, Gallo potentially could be back uh, from his hamstring problems at some point. So that would obviously the problem with hamstring problems is they tend to reappear, right. which we just saw with Polanco. Yep. Um, and then I had one other. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I had a couple notes on Kepler, but we did our my uh, every episode Kepler rant. The only <laughs> the only thing like we kind of said this, but just to like put a bow on it is like they can still trade him. And in fact, I asked around a little bit with some people I talked to from other teams. Like he's still tradable. Uh, now you've you, you may have to pick up part of his salary at this point. No, I think they can dump his salary. Hmm. Um, but the problem is a what good does that do you? Right now, nothing. The right. eight and a half all million. It, all, it, all it does is get you a spot for Walner. To right, come up and, and maybe it gives you a little more ammo at the trade deadline. But honestly, picking up salaries at the trade deadline, they're never going to be huge salaries because there's only two months left in the season. Right. But you know, clearing eight and a half million from the books in January, you could have done some things. You could have signed a right-handed right. hitting outfielder. Yes, you right. could have signed a relief pitcher. You could have you know done any number of things. Clearing what is now what five million from the books because they've paid them three million or whatever already. What's that going to do? And also, to your point, any like sizable value he had, which they clearly misread that market. Right. But you know they thought they could trade him for value. The fact that they didn't trade him suggests no one came with an offer that really hit that for them. Right. And but that's clearly gone. I mean, right. Think Whatever of, value he did have, it, let's, he's certainly worth less now. Think of the reaction <laughs> right. for whatever team ended up trading for him three weeks from now. Let's say or whenever it is today. Who yeah. knows? 
Think of the reaction if they gave up like, oh, we gave up our number eight prospect and a good reliever for Max Kepler who's hitting 180 or whatever. Those fans would freak out. I mean, like any semblance of real value, if that ever existed, which I'm increasingly skeptical about, but is obviously gone. And you might be able to still, I believe, dump his salary cleanly and get some low A, you know, relief pitch or something, except the salary dump has ceased having any real tangible value to that at this point, which, okay. Uh, Before we wrap up, Let's but, talk about our last uh, last sponsor. Yeah, Major League Baseball is you know back in full swing. We know what's uh, going on here. That, or not swinging, yes, and, yeah, or swinging through and yeah. striking out. Uh, and my bookie is going to be your one stop shop for all your betting needs with a wide range of betting options, including money lines, run lines, totals, and futures. My bookie gives you plenty of ways to bet on your favorite team and players. You can take advantage of their brand new. My Bookie Money Bag, which gives you the chance to secure a bet on your team or player at insanely boosted odds. Sign up today at MyBookie and use the promo code Gleeman to get a first deposit bonus up to a thousand bucks. It's simple. Let's say you deposit two hundred, you and play with three hundred instantly. Just use the promo code Gleeman to claim your bonus. So if you're a baseball fan looking to add even more excitement to the season, look no further than MyBookie. Sign up now. Get ready to it says experience the thrill of baseball betting. Like never before, bet anything, anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. That's right. right. Uh, Okay. Have we sufficiently crapped on the offense yet? I think we have probably. <laughs> you ready to talk about the uh I got I mean there isn't the, the pitching? I did I do uh no, pitching's been fine. I mean, look, it's No, I'm going to give you a chance to get happy here at the well, end of this. Okay, so it's Friday morning. Come on. You know it's what's funny. Going. I do have at the very bottom of all these notes. See these right? notes? There's one that header that says good things. <laughs> I have two good things. Okay, all right. Now let's, this is let's do some good limited things. to the lineup. Okay, there's other okay, good things. All right. Okay, it's a nice day outside. Sure. Um, my cat let me sleep until four thirty instead of three thirty this morning till he uh, started pawing at my face. <laughs> I'm going to Philadelphia tomorrow to watch my kid graduate college. Yeah, that's good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Then hopefully that, graduate college. Yeah. <laughs> What are you going to do with all that extra money now that you're not paying for college for either kid? Yeah. I'm, uh, Give it to me. Pretty excited. I'd like to go back to school. <laughs> Would you pay for that, John? No. Oh, okay. No. Never mind. <laughs> uh, here are my two good things. We can things. maybe start up a GoFundMe for you. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> back to school. Just be like Roddy Dangerfield. Thornton Mellon. That was his name in Back to School. I'll join the diving club. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Get uh, Sam Kinison as my teacher. There's a 50-year-old movie that no one Sam remembers. Sam Kinison was a teacher in that? Yeah. I'd forgotten like, about that. He's going to shock you, but he yells at him yeah, a lot. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. yeah. Bet. He's about the uh, like Vietnam War or oh, something God, like that. Oh, God. That's perfect. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> back to school. I, I would say find it and stream it, but I haven't seen – I love that movie like when I was a kid. Right. But it was old when I was a kid, and I'm going to guess it doesn't age real no, well. No, I bet not. Uh, just in general. But it. You, sometimes I do yeah, like – I don't remember it being a terrible movie. No, I don't either, but there's a lot of stuff from like my childhood, a lot of like Adam Sandler movies and yeah. stuff where you're like, this was great, and then you look, and it's like, this movie now. was universally panned at the time, <laughs> and uh, also now it's unplayable because it's a racist and homophobic. Right. I'm not saying Sandler movies, but just in general. Right. Um, okay. Good things. Al Kirloff. Yeah. Uh, hitting, as of now, 307 with a 466 slugging percentage, yeah. and the real change that everyone even before this road trip was talking about in that clubhouse uh is a 440 on base percentage and that is crazy he has 109 plate appearances within those 
17 walks and 24 strikeouts. Just to put that into context, prior to this year, he had 387 plate appearances and 19 walks. So he has almost as many walks, 17, in 109 plate appearances as he had, 19, in 387 plate appearances. So he's essentially like what does that mean? Almost tripled his walk rate and not striking out a huge amount. I mean, he's one of the lower strikeout rates now on a team that is striking out an incredible amount. But... You know, the power has not been consistent from Kirloff, and obviously long-term, that's something they're going to want to see from him, both as part of his value, but just also just kind of proof that his wrist is is somewhere close to where it was pre-surgery. Sure. But this version of Kirloff that is just taking excellent at-bats over and over and over again and spraying singles and doubles all over the field and coming through in clutch spots, it's not quite the player we thought he was going to be, nope. like stylistically. But this is a better ver- – I mean, this is as good or better version. And it's remarkable because – And I will be more and more interested to see what happens as the wrist gets healthier and healthier. Right. He gets more and more confident in it. Sure. Like what, what you're saying is absolutely right. But what you're also saying but not saying is it does – he's not showing that same power that we kind of – initially, the yeah, first week or that's so. That's right. We're not seeing exactly that kind of same power. But I'm not sure that that is gone forever. Right. Like that feels like the sort of thing that year two – you might be we might be looking into that even more. I mean, in general, he has the exact or he has displayed the precise type of approach at the plate that hitting coaches everywhere, including with the twins, <laughs> right. should be begging players to try to mimic, which is swing at strikes. He's not it's not that he's been passive. Right. If you throw him a strike, he will take a hack at it. Spit at anything that's out of the strike zone or even yeah. borderline early in counts. When you get ahead and they throw you a strike, take a rip at it. If you're ahead and they don't throw you a strike, take the walk and, yeah. and keep the line moving. He is what we want Edouard Julien to develop into yes. right now. You know? And I, I think also just the the you know, he's much closer and this was always why people were so more considered like let's say Kirloff a better prospect than Larnick. Larnick or yeah. even someone like right. Wolner is because yeah. with Kirloff it was from the moment they drafted him out of high school, I think he went to high school in Pittsburgh. He was seventeen yeah, right. when they drafted him. Yeah. Twenty sixteen. It was the last uh draft of the Terry Ryan regime and it was this guy's got just a natural textbook left-handed line drive swing he makes hard contact with anything we're going to try to get him to add some power and early in his minor league career he hit like 300 with a lot of doubles but very few homers then as he got up to like double a he started to have a bit of a power explosion where he'd hit 40 doubles and also 20 homers but without, and he sacrificed a little bit of contact. But throughout all that, the changes that he went through, he never walked. Right. I mean, he was always ultra aggressive, and he got away with it because he didn't strike out that much. He had good bat to ball skills, but he was never a guy looking to draw walks, looking to get into good counts. He was see ball, hit ball, and he had the natural swing ability to make it happen. And so the fact now that he's still only twenty five, and he's gone through all the hardships from an injury right. standpoint that he's been through, and he's missed so much developmental time over the past. Right two, three, four years, and he's come out the other end, A, seemingly feeling pretty good from a wrist standpoint, B, still has the beautiful line drive stroke and the ability to use the whole field and have power to the opposite field on occasion even, but now all of a sudden he's turned into a patient hitter who's not giving away at bats, not just hacking at whatever they offer him, but to the point that we talked about about the offense as a whole – 
not swinging and missing that much right. and not striking out and not having empty at bats because it's a fine line, but it shows really the approach and the mentality and the ability. I mean, he just has a natural ability to make bat to ball, you know, barrel up pitches and hit them for line drives. And not everyone has that, but you can be patient and get into deep counts and still use the opposite field, still attack instead of waiting for the first right. pitch. And I think the the idea that a 25-year-old, essentially a rookie, who's missed back-to-back chunks of years with season-ending wrist surgeries is now by far their most reliably good at bat, right. um, batting like second in the lineup oftentimes. Yeah, I mean, it's bummer of the – He's incredible. Has, has Bummer has been that Miranda has completely fallen off the map? Right. Kirloff's become everything that we hoped Miranda was going to be right. already, and, and doing that. And I just, I also just kind of love the idea that that same injury that was that basically threatened to ruin his career, a completely upend, a very promising career, yeah, to come out on the other end of it. And have it actually make you better because of the type of injury wow. that maybe maybe you didn't want to swing as much. You're maybe saying you they should careful about break that. everyone's wrist? I'm, t- I'm saying well, maybe, you know, you know how they did surgery to, to scrape off a little bone there. Maybe they just add a little bit now yeah. to everybody else. You ought to talk to them about what the recovery was like from that and see if you want to wish that. I- and I just, I just like the idea that somebody goes through those struggles and a result of it is sort of a, yes. a silver lining side effect that could. That could make him even better than we thought he was I going to be. I uh, asked a couple people if they thought it was plausible that all the time off where he c- literally couldn't swing made him focus more on pitch recognition or just approach at the plate right. or just how he thinks about things. And I also – part of me wonders if he's just less inclined to swing in general physically – because each swing he takes does have a potential toll. Well, yeah, well, that, that's what I wondered. And yeah. so someone throws you a borderline pitch three years ago when you're 20 and healthy, right. or 22 and healthy, swing away. Yeah. Now someone throws you a borderline pitch swing. and it's right. like, do I really want to swing at that? It's not a great pitch. And also, maybe I don't need to add another swing to this wrist, <laughs> right, yeah, which isn't right, a great right. thing, big picture. I mean, he's not out of the woods with this wrist yet. No. I still would like to see some consistent power, but I mean, I, I cannot – overstate how good he's looked just in terms of the quality of the at-bats and kind of the professionalism or the, the I don't know, like the lack of raw the experience, non, the veteranness, rawness, yeah, yeah, the, right. the of, maturity of a 25-year-old yeah, right. who's got 300 at-bats in the majors coming into this year. Well, and we should also mention this is about the time when a lot of guys start to show more power too. You're 25, sure. 26, 27 years old, you often see a big jump uh, in power. The other good thing that I have, one of two, Okay. Two of two, I guess. I'm going to guess. Yeah. Okay, I've got my guess. Go you, you, no, guess. Jeffers. Yeah, you're right. All right, yeah. <laughs> what else was there going to be? <laughs> right, yeah, okay. I thought one of uh, one of Carlos Correa's strikeouts right. was particularly beautiful the other day. That's, uh, Jeffers, who uh, got demoted from his starting role uh, because he struggled to do anything against right-hand pitchers right. and then struggled to stay healthy. They signed Christian Vasquez to a three-year, $30 million deal to clearly be the primary catcher right. and kept Jeffers, which I give them credit for because they wanted two strong catchers to you know split it probably, I don't know, 90 starts for one and 70 starts for the other or something like that. And it started out that way this season, which is Jeffers was playing two, three times a week, mostly against left-handed pitchers, which they felt gave him the best possible matchup right. to kind of get rolling. But as he... Continued to hit well and 
controlled the running game far better than he has in any previous season, which was also part of the problem with him last year. I think he's thrown out like 35% of runners this year. Uh, he's He's been very good thrown out runners. Yes. Um, as he's continued to impress and as Vasquez has had shown no power whatsoever and just sort of been a, a weak spot at the bottom of the lineup, the kind of 65-35 split that they had planned initially has – you know, gradually slid over to more of a 50-50 right. split. Yep. And I certainly have no problem with that. It would be a great problem to have if all of a sudden Jeffers is two months from now still playing this well. Right. And maybe Vasquez has turned things around a little bit, which he's shown some signs of that, I think. And the Twins have to say to themselves, like, oh, okay, we have two starting caliber catchers. What are we going to do here? Right. That's one of the greater problems I've yes, ever heard of. Right. That'd be fine. Because uh, there's <laughs> 20 other teams who don't have any starting good starting catchers that you could do something with. But I give Jeffers credit. He overhauled his stance and mechanics at the plate to you know remove some of the kind of moving parts to it to just streamline a little bit. He's shown power. He's drawn more walks. His strikeout rate is actually down on a team when everyone else's strikeout rate is up. And probably most importantly, just for his future, he's throwing guys out. Right. And yeah, right. last year, teams were running like crazy on him. So I give him a lot of credit for you know, taking the demotion in stride, coming off a injury-wrecked rough season, and put in the work, and now fighting his way back into a job that I'm sure he thinks should be his to begin right. with, and and fighting his way back to the point that now he's playing three or four times a week instead of two or three times a week. I uh, I took a look at him the other day as well. Uh, his splits were weird. Yeah, he's hitting righties. He's and not really lefties. hitting righties. He's not really hitting lefties, and yeah. that made me go, eh, I'm going to want to watch this as the season I mean, of. Let's, let's call it out right now because right now he sure. looks great. He's got a 400 OBP. Like he's really looking good. I'm not I'm saying there's like, nothing behind that, but do you remember like, I want to say, maybe it was 2019 where Kepler had been horrible his whole career right. against lefties. Yes, right. And then one year he was hitting 350 against lefties like at the All-Star break right. and only like, you know, 220 against righties. And people right. were like, all these articles were like, what has he changed in his well, approach? Well, well, when you start thinly slicing. Right. Uh, sample sizes that are already pretty thin, which is to say Jeffers probably has 110 plate appearances this Something year or whatever. Like that, right. And then you start to go, well, what has he done in his 26 plate appearances against lefties? Right. You start to get more... Uh, kind of out of line numbers. Yeah. Sometimes well, they mean something. Right. A lot yeah, of times right. they don't. Right. And you know the idea that a guy who's crushed lefties and struggled against righties now has flipped that. Does that mean anything? Yeah. Well, he well, has that, changed that, his approach. Yeah, that, that that's some, like you said, it's something to watch. It's not necessarily something. No, I'm, to, I'm not. I'm not saying I want to watch it because I think it's going to right. maintain that way. I'm watching because what happens when the righties go back to about what yeah. what he's you know maybe he can be a little bit better against righties, but he's not this good about right, sure. against righties. And the fact that he's actually been really bad against left-handers, I presume he's going to get better against them. So I don't. Know. Bottom line is, I just I'm interested to get him another 250 at bats this year and see yeah, where I where things that. go. Um, let's see. I had one last, uh, it is encouraging. Uh, I guess we can finish. Well, okay. So we've been talking a lot about Bally sports. I'm not going to go out of another rant about that now, but, um, Dave St. Peter testified at the thing 10 days ago or whatever it was. Uh, and three things of note, I would say came from his testimony. So just to lay those out in case people haven't haven't read it, the Athletic had a good article that laid out all of it because everybody tested. You know, the Cleveland guy testified, the Twins sure. guy twins. Um, Dave St. Peter revealed that they are. I say they're making, except that assumes that they're going to actually yeah, get, paid get paid from this right. company. Their contract was for yes, right. sixty million dollars 
this year from uh, – I'm going to – Look, it's called Diamond Sports. It's a subsidiary. Right. Yes. Let's just call it Sinclair Media because sure. that's the big corporate conglomerate that right. is doing this thing. They sixty million in what is the final year of their contract. Right. They're an impending free agent from a television perspective. Sixty million is a lot more than everybody assumed they were yeah, making. We thought it was closer to forty. Right. The sure, Guardians right. are making like forty, and I think there was one other team that's making like thirty-eight yeah. or forty-two. It might have been the Brewers or something. So the Twins are actually doing pretty well, which does match the ratings uh, prior to right. uh, the cord-cutting but what, situation. But the, the concern with the TV contract was that they didn't really have anybody, Bally Sports didn't really have anybody to bid against in this right. market for those regional sports rights, right? So, there, is no, there is no second, right. like there in, are in many, many cities. Yeah, I mean, you this, often have Comcast Sports or something, in a, Comcast and Fox Sports, and so they're kind of bidding against each other for the for the basketball and the hockey and the baseball and especially the baseball because what else are you going to watch in the summer? Yeah, like, it's 162 it. days right, of exactly, programming. Right. Um, of you know four-hour programming right. blocks, basically. Uh, but yeah, to that point, this is a deal that was signed back when it was Fox Sports Net. Right. Um, right. St. Peter, though, along those lines, interestingly, he said Sinclair Media, Bally, offered them a five-year extension early this year Right. Knowing this was the final season under under contract, a five year extension for fifty four million dollars a year, so ten percent less than they're making now over five years, and he didn't say this, but I'll say it for him. A, it's weird to agree to an extension for ten percent less than we're making, and B, the reason we're in this situation is because A, you can't figure out a way for people to watch our GD games. Right. Well, first and of all, they, B, they wanted the streaming rights as well right. for part of it. Yes. Right. But then B, you're you're not paying us right now. That's why we're in court with you. Right. Why would we sign an extension with a place that's currently arguing against paying us? Right. And to your point, it was fifty-four million, which is already a step down from what they're making. And for that fifty-four million, they wanted them to give them the streaming rights, which are worth Potentially right. as much as the cable rights, maybe yeah, three, maybe four more, years from right. now, and they wanted him to toss in like the full rights to just bombard people with gambling on the screen, and the full rights to like I don't know, put in certain elements of the broadcast that are just clear ads, like infomercials almost. And the Twins, I think, to their credit, said, "No, we don't want to be in business with you anymore." Right. And so the last thing was he said uh, on the stand that I could quote it exactly, but he basically said. We're not negotiating with anybody for next season's rights, next season and beyond, because he has to say that because they're right. technically probably under contract and there's probably a 90-day window where they can't negotiate or whatever it is. But he said, we've heard from multiple interested parties have expressed interest. Right. And I hope that's true, not because I'm genuinely worried that people will not be able to watch Twins games. That can't. That's not going to get any worse than the current situation. Uh, you know, It's either going to be streamed by something like Bally, which is limiting the availability to certain people who don't have uh, the exact streaming options, or it's going to be taken over by MLB from a centralized thing, which is going to be available for $20 a month or whatever that you can stream it that way. But I just mean from a health of the organization standpoint, from a revenue taken in on some level equals payroll spent. Now we can argue about the level that should be and how much of it is spent. And also just... I do think that the and and actually I've talked to. Saint it Peter speaks to the health of the franchise, and we want the franchise right. to be healthy. How yes, about that? but right. one of the I'm not saying this gets ignored, but there's so much focus on like 
available households and uh, money and all that stuff. But just realistically, there's an argument to be made that like long term, it would almost benefit you compared to making 60 million where 40% of your audience just can't watch the damn thing. It would benefit you to make, just to pull a number out of thin air, 30 million and make it readily available to right. 100% of the people who could ever just, on a random right. Wednesday, say, eh, I'd watch a couple innings yeah, of the short-term terms. pain, but long-term right. pain. Right. And I think particularly given the state of Major League Baseball and the fact that the average baseball fan is approximately 350 years old at this point, <laughs> that you, John and I are whippersnapper baseball fans. He's, uh, what are you, 50? What are you? 56, though. 56, and I'm um, 40. Uh, <laughs> and just what the twins have now lost in that regard over the last three or four years, first because of COVID and then because Bally just screwed the pooch here. Right. Yes. Um, I do wonder how much of however many interested parties they get, and maybe their options are pretty limited to your point. Like, right, right. I don't know that they're going to have eight different places bidding it against each other. Well, I mean, but I do hope that if it's kind of all things equal, they will lean more towards the long-term saturation play of, you know what? We've been through a real bad situation here with Sinclair and Bally. Maybe we're not squeezing every possible dollar out of these next few years, but w- what gives us the best chance to have a ten-year-old in, uh, you know, right. Minneapolis, St. Paul, St. Louis Park, whatever, flipping around the dial, or you know, on a streaming service that he already has, and say, and he says to himself, "Oh, so and so's pitching tonight." I just heard some kids at school talking about that. Let me watch it. Well, and I do think there is leg- massive long-term value in hooking. I mean, look what happens when a I kid mean, gets hooked on baseball. Right. 40 years later, they're doing a podcast about I, baseball. I think we've already seen that with the Padres, right? I mean, we already yes. seen that. Listen, whatever their, whatever their cable providers are, Cox and Spectrum and then DirecTV, right. I guess, as a satellite, right? I am quite sure they, they are not being paid for the fact that they are being given a channel on those particular right. I mean, pieces. I mean, if they right? are, it's minimal to, <laughs> right, to exactly. what they would so they, And it also sounds like, frankly, Major League Baseball has is viewing these teams as part of a larger strategy to implement some streaming such that they're going to pay the television rights. That, uh, sort of, that, right, yeah. they're, they're going to reimburse the teams, sort of the television rights, as they end up figuring out how to distribute this stuff. So, right. Yeah. So. Um, okay. And then the last, the very last thing just to mention is the Wes Johnson. Oh, right. Uh, the ex-Twins pitching coach who left the team about a month from now, or not even, yeah. three weeks from now, four weeks from now? Yeah. I think it was three, the end yeah, of yeah. June. And it was middle of Ju- July, because it was right around the All-Star break, wasn't it? I want to say it was like June 20-something, oh, okay. but you might be right. Um, left for LSU. And as Dan Hayes and I reported immediately, it's because they offer him twice as much money right. to work about half as many hours uh, right close to home right. in the South. Right. And in the 11 months since then, we've just heard, what's the real story with Wes Johnson? Why did he leave? It's no way that – and I just <laughs> wanted to say, double the money, half as much work, close to home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he didn't even make it a year at that job. And he announced – actually, he didn't announce the news broke because he's very bad at keeping a secret apparently. <laughs> uh, 11 months after he left the Twins in a lurch to take the LSU job, he left LSU – In a lurch. <laughs> by the way, uh, days before beginning the college w- what World people Series. are assuming right. will be a championship run for one of the great college teams in a long time right. with superstar talent, including the best pitcher in college baseball. Right. Yes. Uh, news broke that he's leaving – their pitching coach job to become the head coach at Georgia. Right. Uh, presumably for more money yes. and maybe fewer hours and closer <laughs> to home. And so I just hope, A, 
we're not hearing as much about Wes Johnson now that uh, yeah. Pete Mackey's got the Twins right. with like the second right. best ERA in baseball. Right. And B, I hope now people realize like this is a guy who's n- not really against the idea of uh, leaving teams in the lurch and jumping jobs for more right. money, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. Um, sure, I, I've I've left places for more money <laughs> yes. uh, before, and right. you probably have too. And right. the majority of people listening to this, if someone offered you twice as much money for less work yes. to leave your current employer with is, short notice to go somewhere else, you would probably do it and, and should do for, it. And for all the praise that the twins got for hiring somebody out of college yeah. to to be an impact person and how that was thinking out of the box, the downside of that is that those seasons don't line up. And That's when true, you yeah. and you when you need to switch from one to the other, it's going to happen in the middle of the season. That's like true. that, if yeah. they decide to hop back, that's the problem. I so. also give them credit, and then I promise I'll shut up. Of my assumption was they they turned to Pete Mackey on the fly. Right. Um, they were literally in midair when they heard <laughs> yeah, that right, he, yeah. Wes Johnson was leaving, yeah. and Pete Mackey was the bullpen coach, or excuse me, the assistant pitching coach, uh, and took over. Or no, he was the bullpen coach. Yes. Um. Colby Suggs replaced him as the bullpen coach. And my assumption was they're going to try to get through this season. It and didn't, it didn't go well. Search, right. And then they're going to go find the next Wes Johnson, outside the box, college guy, big name from somewhere, whatever. And that never really materialized. Now, whether that didn't materialize. Well, we found that out early in the offseason. Right. We immediately were kind of, huh, so Matt just going to keep that job. Whether that was because they reached out. I mean, they did have some lead time where they could reach out to people right. in August and September even. Yeah, true. Whether they reached out to some targets and were told, no thanks, right. and then ended up with Phil, or Phil Mackey. Pete Mackey. <laughs> Phil Mackey would be a different type. <laughs> Spelled differently, too. Um, with Pete Mackey, or they just... We're impressed by Pete Mackey and said right. we're going to keep him. It's worked out pretty well for him. Yeah, so um, far, so good. Yeah. So okay, uh, that's all. We uh, we will be back Monday yes. with a recap of this Blue Jays series. <laughs> yeah, uh, we hope unless they hope get for swept in Toronto, then we're just going to start talking. <laughs> Monday the off day, we'll be doing, it and I'll probably even be publishing it a little earlier than uh, normal. We'll see because we're going to be recording it a little bit earlier yeah, than normal. <laughs> Uh, you should have it by lunchtime on Monday. Uh, let's thank uh, my bookie and Game Time and BetterHelp and Fresh, uh, Hello Fresh and Soda Stick for uh, sponsoring this podcast, making it free for you. And by the way, where John says, "Listen to us Monday." Well, you can only do that. On yeah, the Patreon. yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, yes they're sorry. exclusive to Patreon <laughs> right. subscribers. They are a dollar an episode, commercial free. Yeah. Uh, you know, a little bit more in-depth talk or in-the-moment talk, talking about specific games and stuff. We would love to have you join us, whether yep. it's just a never-ending rant about things that are going wrong, <laughs> right. or if they turn things around, you might want to listen to that, too. So it's uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Gleeman. We would love to have you join us. It's ad-free, uh, and you get to the almost every Wednesday now we're doing a mailbag where people yep. ask questions. So, Which you are know, my you, favorite episodes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Those, are the, uh, those are the topics that are outside yeah. of... The normal discussion that we uh, will dive John into. John cursed like a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> he just refused yeah. to stop with yeah. the f bombs. Yeah, so, so, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, goodbye. <laughs>